0: Does have it all. All of our pre owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128 point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties a two year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty, and a 30 day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. All right, we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner here, week 14. Uh, Colts and Bengals on Sunday. And boy, this one has added some juice uh, since we last spoke. Cincinnati, very impressive on Monday night. Uh, just a crazy game. A lot of implications, obviously, for the Colts. And Jake Browning, uh, wow, for one night, looked like, oh, hell, he looked like Joe Burrow times 10. Uh, over 350 yards, over 85%. Um, I think one of like 10 quarterbacks in the history of the league to put up those numbers. So um, looking forward to Sunday. I, I, I think now you've kind of reached a point in the schedule where the opponents have just as much at stake, if not even more, than the Colts. And I just think that naturally brings great hype, and uh, it allows you to control some things, particularly with the AFC opponents for Indianapolis, whether it's Cincinnati this week or Pittsburgh a week from Saturday or the Raiders down the road or obviously Houston to close out the season. And then Sandwich in there is that Atlanta game and obviously that one from an NFC South standpoint matters a whole lot on Christmas Eve against the Falcons. Um, it'll just be me today, by the way, a little bit of a scheduling issue, and the Colts have kind of gone to this walkthrough format on Wednesdays a lot, so you don't really need to wait for the practice report. And So uh, we're coming to you just after lunchtime on Wednesday. I don't think the walkthrough injury report will be out, uh, but obviously Juju Brent, Braden Smith, probably the two to watch the most for the Colts on that one, I still don't think we'll see Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think there is some hope about Juju potentially returning this week. I'll get more into that when we get into Cincinnati. And then if Braden Smith can't go, and he exited after just three snaps on Sunday, obviously you're going to need a Blake Freeland to uh, to step up again. And um, I think that is kind of the main, you know, injury-wise, we'll, we'll see if anybody else develops something after that overtime game on Sunday. I would say the big storyline for this week is the return of Grover Stewart. And, you know, anytime you get a player the caliber of him back in the lineup, it's notable. But it's also unusual to kind of see a guy's absence for six weeks and see it as jarring as it's been for the Colts without Stewart. In terms of the run game, it's 125 rushing yards allowed in six straight weeks. That is the longest streak for this franchise since 2006. Um, so obviously, that is no, uh, that was a Super Bowl year for, for what it's worth. But um, I look at Sunday and think, you know, I've always thought this about Joe Mixon. I, I don't know if maybe his yardage does him total justice. Um, I think he's a very dynamic runner. And I thought Monday night, you can make an argument, that was his best game of the season. And impacted things, you know, both in the receiving department. And as a runner as well. And when I look at this matchup and think this is the best, deepest wideout group you're going to see all year, you got to commit as many guys as you can to coverage. I I think that's absolutely vital. So ideally, you're not cheating, you know, Rodney Thomas or Nick Cross or Julian Blackman up a whole, whole lot. Uh, You don't want to get beat over the top. You know, I mean, you saw Jacksonville get hit with a couple of them uh, to Jamar Chase. So, Uh, In an ideal world, you know, you would have a front capable of handling this rushing attack. I don't think you look at Cincinnati's O-line as a vaunted group. Um, So I just think the return of Grover comes at such an important time. Even if you don't view Cincinnati as like a great rushing team, um, you want to allocate resources, you know, accurately. And that would be, you know, try not to put as many or go above and beyond like you maybe would against Tennessee and Derrick Henry. Uh, You don't want to do that with Cincinnati. You want to commit a lot of guys to coverage. So, Um, You know, Grover was typical Grover today in the locker room. Uh, He would not get into much detail-wise on the six-game. Suspension did say that he was surprised by it, um, would not reveal what he ingested, or he did add that he didn't feel like appealing the process, didn't want to prolong anything. I would think the appeals process would go pretty quickly, but he did mention that. Uh, But, you know, Grover, I mean, it's, it's ball, it's football, it's food. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, how ball and football, yeah. I mean, (laughs) he had a great quote today about, you know, I miss hitting people and, you know, throwing people out of the way. So really eager to see Grover in his return. Uh, Obviously five games to go, left to prove himself free agency-wise. Granted, you know, his agency's certainly got a lot of leverage if they just want to pop on the film with the Colts last six weeks. So Grover back this week. I'd expect him to be fresh. I'd expect him to be that normal you know, playing a high percentage of snaps for a defensive tackle. And again, he just gives you something that you don't have and you clearly didn't have over the last month and a half. I think there's one more angle to Grover that I was thinking about as the week has kind of moved along. Um, you know, if you look at the last two weeks, especially. You know, Tampa Bay runs all over you. You know, It was huge yards per carry for Tampa. They weren't a great rushing unit at all, dead last in the NFL. I think it was their biggest yards per carry in like two years or over two years. And then last week with Tennessee, you know, both of them, whether it was Henry or Spears, both of them kind of ran it at you. Um, and it's not like Tennessee's been that vaunted on the ground this season. You know, Henry has not had a typical Derrick Henry type year. So I think that's what kind of adds to, this, to the disappointment. But if you look deeper at both those games – I kind of walked away from him and thought, man, I feel like I didn't feel Zaire Franklin's presence as much as I typically do. Um, And and that was without, you know, kind of going to the box score. And then when I went to the box score to kind of look at it, uh, the two lowest tackle games of Zaire Franklin's season the past two weeks, uh, six and seven total tackles respectively. And again, when Tampa and Tennessee run it right at you. Um, And then if you want to go a little bit deeper, you look at the solo tackles for Franklin, three and one and if you go back to that Tennessee game I and mean, think about that that's an overtime game Zaire Franklin one solo tackle and 85 defensive snaps I mean that's I mean hell he was making double digit tackles a ton early in the season um, you now you know some of this you know you know he tweaked the knee a little bit a couple weeks ago it's not like he's missed a ton of time but you know he certainly has missed some practice time does that play into it at all um, or, you know, is the absence of Grover something to acknowledge? I think it is. I, you know, I, I think it allows other teams to, you know, look at Taven Bryan or Eric Johnson or Adetamia, Adabare, and say, all right, we, we can single-team those guys. We can kind of get away with it and get to that second level quicker. And I think they have done that. So I think that's another wrinkle to Sunday and that that should help the Colts and, and should be a big deal um, to them trying to be a little bit more effective when it comes to. Stopping the run. Um, I think that pretty much covers like all the kind of major new stuff. Again, we talked about Jonathan Taylor and that new kind of three to five week timetable. Um, you know, if you look specifically at Juju Brents and his return, I mean, look at some of the wideouts down the stretch. You know, whether it's George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, you know, Drake London, Devontae Adams, Nico Collins. I mean, there are some. I, I think you haven't really played wideout groups with a whole lot lately. I do think, again, from a strength and a depth standpoint, no one compares it to Sensi. L- let's get into the Bengals. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Um, you know, the Colts, when we talked on Monday, they were a three-point favorite. That line has shrunk to one. I would assume a ton of that has to do with what Jake Browning looked like on Monday night. Uh, curious how the weather is the rest of the week. Uh, that'll be outside on Sunday. Um, you know, it look like, like 50, 60 percent chance of rain, maybe a little bit more on Saturday than Sunday. I, I've always felt like, you know, the crappier the weather, the better for the Colts. And so I, I do think that would kind of play into their hands. But certainly that is something to keep an eye on. And you know, when you look at playoff chances and what these next two weeks mean, I mean, this is, you know, you're getting into AFC North football these next two games. And these two teams, you know, one just above you, one just behind you in the standings. I was playing around with some of the odds machine for the next couple of weeks. And obviously this doesn't factor in other results. But if you go 2-0, and beat Cincinnati, beat Pittsburgh, playoff chances 95%. You go 1-1, and and it's still north of a coin flip you know, probably kind of that 60, even up to 70, depending on the other results sort of range. You go 0-2, and and that drops all the way down to 20%. Obviously, you've lost two key head-to-head tiebreakers, and, um, you know, certainly Cincinnati and Pittsburgh both have questions at quarterback. Cincinnati's got a ton of questions on the defensive side of the ball. Their defensive numbers, frankly, are very alarming and and, kind of shocking. But what they have is they've got some just individual dudes. They've got some dogs, flat out. Uh, Jamar Chase showed it on Monday Night Football. Um, you know, certainly T.J. Watt has done it to this team. Mika Fitzpatrick, I think, would fall into that boat. We'll see how healthy he is on Thursday Night Football. By the way, I played around with those odds. Colts, uh, break out the cutoff. Colts fans that need to break out the cutoff sweatshirt coming up on Thursday night. A Patriots win would increase playoff odds by 5%. So, I know that goes against Ten Commandments of being a Colts fan, but You know, you got to throw it out the window here this week. Um, Let's start with Jake Browning. I mean, he was – I mean, certainly, I you know, any follower of college football, I think, will know Browning's name, Um, whether it was his play at Washington or, frankly, how highly of a recruit he was. Ironically, Shane Stadkin was talking today about Shane went to the rival high school of Jake Browning. Of course, they they didn't cross over uh, in terms of age and play time, but, you know, certainly Shane knew him and, and, and certainly saw the numbers and everything. I would say the stuff that stood out to me about Monday night was, you know, I, I watched that game pretty intently, and you know, early on it was dink and dunk central. I mean, it was kid gloves like none other throughout that first quarter. I think at one point Jamar Chase had like nine receiving yards on five catches. I mean, it was get him into a rhythm. I want to say Browning hit his first ten maybe. Um, and then all of a sudden that second quarter flipped, and it just seemed like Zach Taylor went to a Jill Burrow type of playbook. And they really opened it up, and there were two numbers that stood out to me from Browning. You know, certainly the raw numbers, like I let off the podcast with, you know, north of three hundred and fifty, north of eighty five percent. I mean, those numbers speak for itself. But you know, when I think of backup quarterbacks, I think of you blitz them, and you make sure that they can't hit anything vertical. You know, keep everything kind of in front of you, tackle well, et cetera, et cetera. Against the Blitz, Jake Browning was 8-for-13 for 151 and no sacks. I mean, just look at the Colts' sack numbers here in recent weeks when they've played you know, inexperienced to below-average quarterbacks. They have feasted when bringing pressure or just naturally, again, getting that you know rush home. Um, so that was a stat that really stood out to me. And the other one was on throws of over 10 yards, just an astonishing number. Jake Browning eight of ten on throws over eight yard, or excuse me, throws over ten yards for one hundred and eighty one yards. So they are big boy numbers. Um, again, Mixon had his most yards from scrimmage, and um, their wideout group to me again, I kind of echoed this on Monday, but to me it's the most potent wideout group. You've got the high end number one guy in Chase, one of the best, frankly, one of the best players in the league, and then their depth is outstanding and you saw T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd make some plays on Monday night and you look at the Colts cornerback depth chart they just haven't been tested like this really all season and when they have been tested a little bit Saints and Jags they've struggled so where's Juju Brents this week and Jalen Jones and Daryl Baker Jr. they're going to get tested and you know can't give up the explosives I mean, that was Shane Steichen's big big thing this week And, you know, how much do do your safeties play into that? And can your pass rush get home so Browning cannot dial up those sorts of opportunities? You know, I'm curious, can you stress them at all on a short week? I mean, that was taxing. The Colts had a taxing game, but Cincinnati, I think, had an even more taxing game in terms of a little bit of further plane ride home. Uh, Obviously, 36-hour difference. I don't know, maybe a little bit more than that in terms of, you know, when the game's finished. Um, Can you pound it at them? You know, can you get hands on the hips? Uh, they are the worst rushing team, or one of the worst in the NFL. You know how much can you stress that? How much is prep impacted this week? I mean, these dudes work insane hours, so I would tend to think it's not. But you know, this might be a week, and I mean, hell, Shane Steichen doesn't need much motivation for this, but th- this might be a week for more window dressing, more um, you know trick play stuff, or you know maybe some of the gimmicky, like hey, I throw out you know this personnel unit, and then you know I run my punt team on, or vice versa, you know things like that. That's another item that I'm curious about here for the Colts um, in this game. Um, Again, Cincinnati's defense has just been bad. Bad against the run, bad against the pass, just overall really, really poor. Um, And, I mean, you know, this is a unit that at times, you know, kind of did a lot of the heavy lifting. Obviously they have a weapon at kicker, uh, and and we saw that on Monday night. But, again, Mother Nature will be something to keep an eye on. You know, playoff odds, it shifts by about 30% with a win or a loss with this one. You know, if you just looked at this matchup, 7-5 and five Indy, 6-6 six and six Cincy, you win. You know, obviously you take a two-game lead over them, and you have the head-to-head tiebreaker. You all but finish them off. But if you lose, all of a sudden they, at 7-6, and six, have the head-to-head tiebreaker over you. Um, so this is something that... You know, yeah, that division door might be cracked a little bit based off of what happened Monday night. You know, it doesn't look like the Trevor Lawrence injury is as severe as we thought. The schedule for Jacksonville, I don't think, is too, too daunting the rest of the way. They, they you know, it's like it's at Cleveland, Baltimore, at Tampa. I want to say it's Carolina, at Tennessee. So I, I still think that's manageable, especially if Lawrence is not going to miss multiple weeks or many weeks, I should say. Um, so I, I'm still a little bit more focused on the kind of the wild card bubble, and where you're at with with, with that in the in these next two weeks. I mean, about a 30 percent chance with the Cincinnati game. I want to say the Pittsburgh game is at 41 percent variance based off win or lose, um, and and I gave you those numbers a little bit earlier in the pod. So just a huge, huge one here coming up on Sunday for the Colts. I think that covers everything Cincinnati wise. You know, I. I I think it's same old, same old when you're even facing a guy like Jake Browning is, again, can you make him feel uncomfortable? You know, he got so many of those in-rhythm throws. I've said this before about the Colts. You oftentimes these teams in years past, they've gotten these great in-rhythm starts to games, and you give any quarterback, but in particular a young or inexperienced quarterback, you give them hope. You give them confidence. And now it's like, oh, wait, can I fit that ball in there on third and seven? You know, can I – is that corner route something that – I can get to. Um, I think it's really key for the Colts early on. Try and disrupt Brownie. Not let him get into the rhythm that he clearly found on Monday night football. Uh, We'll certainly give a prediction. Uh, I believe Eddie sent me his. I got to make sure I find that. Um, And we'll give that to you here to round out the podcast. Let's get into Twitter questions now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. Now, And I will begin with Casey. Casey says, listening to the latest podcast, and Alec Pierce is, the, is that one dude in a golf scramble that can bomb at 320, can't putt, Can't chip, erratic with his irons, but he can hit bombs. You want that dude on your team. Casey, love the golf analogy. Outstanding for that, of course. Uh, That was not me, people. That was Casey. Um, I think that one, that analogy kind of checks out. I think you undermine Pierce a little bit in some of the other areas and just saying can't, can't, can't. Um, You know, I asked Jim Bob Cooter earlier this week, you play him virtually every snap. I mean, if you look at it, the last six games, I want to say Pierce has missed like eight or nine snaps. So, I mean, he literally is playing every snap, every single week. And yet, you know, he's not a big catch guy. So why? Well, he, he puts pressure on a defense. You know, they've got to think twice. Um, you know, Cincinnati, uh, they would be foolish not to put a safety over the top unless they're willing to take a chance on the three deep balls that are attempted a game and say, no, our pass rush will get home or no, our corner can play on an island against Pierce. Uh, That's a risk that, you know, good luck taking. And um, I've, I've always come back to this when, you know, coaches that lean on the big plays. And, you know, certainly that was a big part of why Anthony Richardson was drafted. And in the NFL, it's, to me, you know, defenses have had, I think, a good year this year overall. But it's so hard to drive, you know, 80 yards on 12 plays and do it consistently. You know, do it multiple times in a game. So you need that. You need to try and dial up. I mean, you guys have heard me say that before. You know, you dial up three to four to Pierce a game. Even if you're, even if the percentages of hitting on all those are low, you still do it. Uh, now, I, I still don't want to lose sight of the wideout need uh, because you have to have to have to support Anthony Richardson, and you know, Pierce does have some limitations as a complete wideout, um, but he's certainly a weapon vertically, and that reward to me is just. Too, too great not to risk it a few times a game. Craig wants to talk Grover Stewart. Uh, He says in the six games with with Grover, the team had 18 sacks. In the most recent six games, they had 24 sacks. Obviously stopping the run has dropped significantly. Do you think with Grover back, we'll see a decrease in sacks but improved run D? What would you rather have, more sacks or more run D? Well, I'd rather have more sacks. I think those are the more impactful plays, particularly in a pass-happy league. Those plays to me end drives. You know, if you stuff a run play and make it second and nine, the drive isn't over. If I have a sack and it's second and 19, I mean, the drive's all but over there. You know, certainly the pass rush has had some great moments here. Uh, and I'll continue to. And I want to make sure that I, I, I point out what Pay did on Sunday. I'm not sure if I did that enough on Monday. That play he had on the strip there, late in regulation, uh, and the fact that it made it second and I think 17. Uh, and then Tennessee had to take a timeout. That was such a huge play. I mean, they were on the verge of it there. So even if that's just a incompletion or something like that, that that, that still could have been the play of the game. You know, okay, first six games of the season, off the top of my head, Lawrence, Stroud, Lamar, Stafford, uh, what was it, Tannehill, and then wasn't it Trevor again, right? Okay, so those are the six. Your most recent six, I guess going backwards, um, Levis, Baker, uh, who is Germany. Uh, no, was Bryce Young in there? Bryce Young, well, I guess maybe Germany was slotted in there. Mac Jones, he stinks. Uh, Saints, Carr, and then whoever the hell the Browns are playing, Watson and PJ Walker. So right there, last six. Oh, well, Let's go first six. Lawrence Stroud. Lamar, Stafford, Tannehill, Trevor, uh, past six, Levis, Baker, Bryce Young, Mac Jones, Derek Carr, and Deshaun Watson, P.J. Walker. Like that, that to me is a little bit more of an indicator of why those numbers are so so different. Uh, bad Q play, bad QB play contributes to sacks. Yeah. Now, it, it, I I think it's a happy medium. You probably aren't gonna have as much pass rush, and, and I don't know. I mean, Jake Browning and. If you're going to slot A category and B category to the first six games versus the next six, you would slot Jake Browning and Mitchell Trubisky and, hell, even Ritter and Aiden O'Connell. You, you would slot them much more to the B group than the A group. Um, so I think in general it's accurate, but, again, I I, I feel like you got to look at the quarterbacks that you faced in that stretch. Flippin wants to ask my updated prediction for how the Colts finish the year. I assume this is in reference to what I had predicted at the start of the year. So I said seven wins for the Colts. Um, Where would I go the rest of the year? Five games to go. I wonder what it would be. Would it be a nine and a half? Would that be kind of the over-under the rest of the way? You know, again, I, I think something that stands out the rest of the way for me is that you play some teams that have a little bit more of the individual non-quarterback playmakers, like guys that can go win slash change a game. You know, some some TJ Watts, some Max Crosby, some, again, Mika Fitzpatrick, Jamar Chases, Devontae Adams. I mean – some dudes. I mean, some D-U-D-E-S-72 Times New Roman. Is that still the go-to big font if you want to type something big on Microsoft Word? I have no idea. Um, I got seven right now, nine or ten. Boy, that could be the difference when you think about it, nine or ten the rest of the way. I'll go nine. Yeah, I'll go nine. I think I played a little bit of five. You know, part of me thinks they're Grover coming back. is just going to be so huge. So huge, and if Juju can get back and just kind of shore up that cornerback depth a little bit, you know how helpful can that be? But I do think there's a little bit of up tip, uptick in competition uh, here over the next few weeks, even with the quarterback regression that on paper is still there. Uh, but yeah, I'll go with nine the rest of the way, Big Bama. Uh, whether it's this year or next year, with Jelani Woods coming back. It, Jeez, is he coming back? Uh, is there a particular tight end that you think is starting to separate themselves from the others, or do you think the Colts will still go tight end by committee? I mean, right now, I think it'd be foolish to act like anyone is really, really separated. I mean, Kylan Granson, I thought a nice game on Sunday. Uh, and again, he is that unique body type. If you look at the play count, though, I mean, clearly the Colts don't feel like there's really any separation with that tight end group um, at all. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I'd like to see Drew Ogletree kind of string a little bit more together from a health standpoint to see what he can show you. Um, I think you kind of know what you've got in Allie Cox and, and, and the thing about Granson is just that body type is just a little different than all the others there. What Granson have. I'm looking up right now, three for 72 Mallory had two for four. Gosh, that was it. Allie Cox, no targets. Ogletree, just one. Yeah. And then snap count wise for those tight ends. Again, you played four pretty consistently in that game. Uh, Ogletree actually led the group of 28. That's 28 of 71. Gosh, Jack Doyle would just absolutely cry looking at that percentage. Uh, Kylan Granson, 24. Allie Cox, 24. And then Mallory, 13. So, I mean, super balanced. Super balanced there. And, and at this point with Jelani, I mean, with five weeks left in the season, I mean, Jelani's, he's not playing, right? I would, I would assume that. Um, all right, let's go to Randall. Uh, was Gardner Minshew's performance enough for you to reconsider his ability to win in the playoffs, or do you still need to see more? Are the downfield throws sustainable going forward, or do you think this was game plan specific for the Titans? I think the handful of downfield completions was the difference, why the offense picked up uh, the struggling defense in a big win. Thoughts on Minshew and deep ball sprinkles? So I think there's a lot of accuracy in that statement, Randall. Um I mean, if the deep ball becomes normal, real, even if it strikes enough fear in the defense. Like, again, that's why I've such been a believer of you pepper Pierce with those targets week in and week out. Send a message. Send a message to that opposing defense, secondary, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I, I probably still need to see more from him, Gardner, that is. I mean, again, there were a lot of other plays in that game and why you need it over time. And I kind of laid those out on Monday from, you know, the two point conversion play to getting stripped in the red zone to, you know, missing downs on a third and one with a little bit of an errant throw on the screen, missing Pittman on the third and one, Um, you know, just some things like that that um, are of concern for me. But if you can tell me that the downfield throws are going to be there, then, yeah, I mean, that that could really, really shift kind of where my thinking is moving forward um and I come back to this like you know these quarterbacks that you are currently playing right now or the opponents that you're currently playing right now you know if you want to look at like the DVOA um you know I I know a lot of people like that to kind of give an accurate depiction of your opponents I mean you know we're not talking about the Colts you know beating top 20 teams obviously when you get the playoffs you're going to be facing some top 20 teams um In order to win, it just, and the yards per attempt number of Minshew, you know, four, five, six, you know, on Sunday did climb over seven. That to me is not sustainable to get it done when that competition does rise. That competition for Minshew um, is going to rise. Sorry about that audio issue there. Just a little bit. Um, Let's go to Irwin. Hey, Kevin, never miss an episode. Even your off-season ones when you're talking about who's going to make the practice squad. Another deserving win for the Colts this week. Just thinking about how this team would be with Anthony Richardson in the lineup makes me want to cry sad tears. Um, your favorite fan from down under. Irwin, uh, good luck to everything uh, that encompasses your life down under. Appreciate the questions as always. You know, this is a thought that I... Um, that I also kind of struggled to get away from. And maybe it was seeing Levis up close last week. Um, and I guess moving forward, you're going to see, what, four rookie starters? Well, I guess if you incorporate C.J. Stroud's two starts, you know Levis is a third, um, Bryce Young would have been a fourth, and then potentially Aiden O'Connell. Yeah, it's just you know five starts for rookie quarterbacks against you, and obviously your quarterback did not get that this season, let alone start and finish those games. I was looking up earlier this week. Again, one hundred and seventy-three snaps for Richardson this season. With five games to go, you've already had. I think it was third. It was I think it was thirty-four Colts play that many snaps. So I think again that just adds to the bummer of it all. And again, I understand how that can kind of overshadow a lot, but I do think there are some individual positives to this season that certainly deserve attention. As well. All right, a few more here. Richard, I know it's been asked a lot this season, but surely Chris Fowler is watching the same as everyone else. So why is he not paid Michael Pittman Jr. yet? He makes tough catches every week and is such a reliable wideout. We need as many weapons as possible for AR. Uh, folks, it's a two-way street, right? Does Michael Pittman want to sign it? You know, I, I, I think... You know, remember Pittman's comments about Jonathan Taylor and how that was handled. I mean, he gave a lot of credit, acknowledgement to Taylor. And... Um, I'm not saying, you know, Bauer's put something in front of him, but you got to remember, this is a two-way street. And uh, contractually, in terms of an extension, it certainly is. And if you want to play the franchise tag, you better be open to that song and dance of last year. If you're Chris Bauer, that is. You know, if you want to slap that franchise tag on, Pittman, and do it for the first time in 10 years for this franchise, the ramifications are that is, it, it, it can get public. And, you know, Taylor... You know, Taylor had an injury, and Taylor also is not in the final year of his deal. You know, Pittman seemingly doesn't have the injury and is done with his rookie contract. So how all of that would play out, part of me wants to cry imagining that happening, having to follow it, but, you know, I think that's something that the Colts would have to consider, too. If uh, To me, I, I don't like playing that sort of game. I think you have the finances. Pittman has proven it. You know, on and off the field, stands for everything you want. You know me, I've always been a Pittman guy. Um, so I am more than happy to pay him, extension-wise, multi-year. But, you know, if you throw that in front of him, does Pittman want to test that market? And what would that look like? Uh, Cody asks, could the Colts have multiple players reach double-digit sacks? Is Edge a need still? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Edge is unquestionably still a need. Yeah. It's pass rush. Pass rush is always a need, particularly edge, particularly speed. And I do think even with Quiddy pay, you know, Quiddy has a nice sack number if you just looked at it in that vacuum. A seven and a half, I think it is, after the two on Sunday. But to me, I got to go a little deeper than just that. You know, where is he at QB hit-wise? Where is he at pressure rate? Where is he at from a hurry standpoint? Uh, And those numbers are not at a level that I feel like is – You know, acceptable, I guess, if you want to go that route for a first-round pick or a guy that, you know, you're about to pay potentially big money for. Um, So that's where I would lean. But yeah, right now in in Quiddipay and Ebucom, I mean, certainly both of them seem to be on track for kind of getting to that 10-sack number, but... I know that's something we go to quickly because it's kind of easy to kind of throw out there sacks, but, you know, to me it, it, it's, it's more than that. It's, you know, does an opposing offense coordinator sit there and they, you know, formulate their rush plan and say, we've got a chip here. We've got to help. We've got to commit resources that take away stuff elsewhere on the field in order to take care of that guy. And that's the guy, that's the presence you want, that you want to try and find. Obviously it's not easy, but that's what you want to try to find. So, yeah, edges, without a doubt still need, even if. Ebicom in particular, has had a nice season. All right, let's go to Hank. Fast forward to next year. Do you think the two starting corners will be Juju and Jalen Jones, or maybe Juju and Dallas Flowers? He goes, let it be known, Flowers wasn't half bad before he got hurt. Or do you think it'll be a different combination of corners? Love the pod. Thank you, guys. Hank, appreciate that question. Yeah, I would say Flowers is better than... You know, wasn't half bad or however that was framed. Um, obviously, he's coming off the torn Achilles. And what was that? Was that early October for that? And I would put corner, you know, near the top of the list of, you know, positions that can really be impacted by that. Um, Boy, I want to see Juju down the stretch. I think it's so key to see him in these final five games for the short term and the long term. Just so vital. But I would still put, you know, if I'm slotting out offseason needs, and I think oftentimes we slot kind of draft offseason needs together free agency. You got to see how that actually plays out. But still on tier one for me would be wideout slash pass catcher and then D end. And again, that, that, that speed rush. If I move to tier two, corner might be standalone there. Maybe talk me into interior offensive linemen. Um, maybe talk me into a safety depending on what happens in the off season. But again, I think, uh, I think corner kind of be on that second tier there. All right. Final one here, and this is kind of a combo. We got one from Kabim and Jay is this season, a wasted year due to AR being hurt. Wins and losses wouldn't mean much if Anthony Richardson was playing and being developed. Um, again, we, we get, I've gotten some form, I think of this question a lot, and it gets back to kind of the old winning culture debate and, you know, how much can that be instilled in year one and how much does a new coach have to have those winning moments for it to be something that's a mainstay moving forward? Um, you know, maybe I'm living too much in the Colts bubble, but you know, again, I go to Manning and Lux first seasons and think they paint a story that good players create winning culture more than anything. And that Peyton Manning going 3-13 and 13 and getting Edger and James that next year greatly, greatly helped the establishment of a winning culture. And I think Peyton, I want to say they lost eight one-score games. Uh, next season, they were 13-3. and three. So they still, you know, pretty quickly were able to make that turnaround. And then if you look at the Luck era in that first year, you won 11. Theoretically, Chuck Pagano and Andrew Luck had established a winning culture and while you continue to win at a really nice level, the drafting or the poor drafting, I should say eventually caught up to you. and you know, nothing looks worse than that 2013 draft. I mean that you want to gouge your eyes out, just take a look at that 2013 draft. and I guess 2014 and 15 weren't much better. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. After that. Um, all right, Colts and Bengals here in week 14. Eddie Garrison has sent in his pick 2420 horseshoes. I'm probably in a... Similar range. I've gone back and forth on this one. You know, again, um, focusing a little bit too much on Monday night is probably not something you want to do. I was very impressed by what I saw, though. And I've just always thought that even without Burrow, Cincinnati's got guys in Mixon and, you know, uh, Chase and Higgins and Boyd that still can make some individual dynamic plays. And I actually thought their tight ends played pretty well. Now, I'm not sold on their O line. Certainly not sold on their on their defense either. I would say poor weather would favor Indianapolis. I think the return of Grover Stewart is absolutely vital to this team as well. I mean, I, maybe Brain Smith's out. Um, I'm going to go Colts on a close one, 26 23. Uh, again, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on that. Don't feel uber confident about it. Um, I think pray for Mother Nature to kind of rear a bit of an ugly head and pray that Jake Browning is not here to stay I I, and again how do you capitalize on the on the short week you know how can you do that can you stress them can you pound it at them can you establish a run attack one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL and then vice versa Um, you know what can you do to challenge it mentally you know mentally exhausting I go back to what I was saying on Monday I mean what Shane Steichen did in dialing up those three big plays right after Tennessee penalties that is such a just is such a genius idea that test of an opposing team mentally when they are, you know, just a bit tired physically and mentally. And I think there's an opportunity to do that here with the Bengals. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Everybody have a great rest of your week and weekend, and we'll be back on Monday recapping Colts and Bengals. Again, AFC playoff picture look up on the website. Check that out, 107.5 The Fan. Some details there on the playoff odds and how things can fluctuate here in week 14. All right, everybody. Have a good one.